0: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Cape Town, a superhero podcast about superhero things. I'm Tyler Huckabee. I'm Chris Youngblood. And, and I'm Ryan Hamm. And welcome back, Chris. Hi. You haven't, done this, you haven't done this for a little while. Ryan and I got to do, we, we did a little, we did a twofer last week. I know. Just me and Ryguy.
1: I was really heartbroken.
0: Like miss, yeah, I miss Spider. You missed your like big. You missed. Uh, I was mm-hmm. I missed my guy. People could tell. People. We got some comments. I think about <laughs> it, and uh, I think we got some. Some people wondered what what happened, and it wasn't anything. There wasn't anything malicious about it. We we didn't intentionally not want you there, but I'm glad you're here for this one. No, yeah, I'm glad you made it back. Well, I know.
1: I think that there's a reason we're even doing the guy that we're doing this week. Yeah. Because oh man, we're teasing it. We're really like <laughs> dropping a little. Oh man, a little, little foreshadowing.
0: I like it. We don't do this video, so Ryan, you can't see us. Chris and I are in the same room right now, and we are actually we are like we are like high school sweethearts. We're sharing old school earbuds, one in each ear. To we don't need to get into why. I don't oh. even. It was yeah, no, the, the, the technical yeah, the tef- technical difficulties of the evening led us to. So we're like we're like cheek to cheek into the same microphone. And um, after so such a long time apart for this podcast, this feels right. This feels good. You're you're the Natalie Portman, to Zach
2: Brown, <laughs> right now. And I'm just uh, I'm just sitting alone in a dark basement, sipping a high life. So you know, your scars. Also, mark. I mean, I guess I guess we're all in high school.
0: Um, yeah, I guess we're all kind of reliving our high school, our high school glory. This is yeah, this feels very high. This feels very high school, and so and in some ways it doesn't because we're talking about a very adult comic this week. Mr. Miracle feels like a comic for grown-ups, kind of. Adult
2: themes for adult people.
0: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> when I say adult, when you say adult like that, it makes it sound like this is it's not like explicit or yeah. particularly... Uh, this isn't like 2 a.m. cinema. Yeah, this, this, is isn't, like... this, this isn't Cape Town After Dark or anything like that. I, I don't want to get ahead of our skis. We were talking about Mr. Miracle this week, but we're going to talk about a little bit of news first. We're coming fresh out of the Oscars. Yeah, big Oscar okay. night for yeah. superhero movie. Probably the biggest Oscar night for superhero movies ever, I would think.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, especially for Marvel, I, I think that. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm blanking on even what got what awards. Do you guys like know off the top of your head? Black Panther one, two. A lot of technical. So, awards. I think I got three, three costumes, okay.
0: yeah. uh, production, and I think there was something else. I think score. Did it get one? Yeah. yeah. That, was, that was kind of a surprise, I think. I don't think it was expected to win score. And I don't think it was supposed to win set production either. I think the favorite was the favorite for that one. Yeah. yeah. And score, I don't know what anybody thought, but it walked out with – and it and I think that right there, like double the number of black women who've won an Oscar at a single ceremony in Oscar history, just those awards – yeah, like right Not
1: not actress, not black. Yeah,
0: like that. For technical, right? yeah, yeah. For a technical, which is like very cool, but also very depressing. Kind of, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, I wish it didn't take three awards to achieve that record. But <laughs> well, I guess it's still a minor victory. But it was really cool. I don't know about you guys, and I, I, I tweeted this. This is one of my takes from the Oscar mm-hmm. evening. It was very surreal to see people like Trevor Noah go up on stage talk about Black Panther, and it's kind of been this way all year since Black Panther came out, but to talk about Wakanda, and T'Challa, and T'Chaka, and these these names and things that I, that I know very well, but I kind of, for a long time, kind of had to pretend that I didn't know, because it, when you're a kid, it, it wasn't cool to know anything about Black Panther, and this is very this was very obscure Marvel lore when I was 12. This was like deep, deep cuts. And now to hear about this, like from the Oscar stage, and if be spoke about very, very emotionally and very profound, uh, very moving terms, I really love it. I'm not saying like, oh, it's not cool anymore because everybody likes it. I think it's the exact opposite. I think it's extremely cool, but it is surreal To It was still just very strange. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Do you, do you follow my yeah. line of thought there?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of the same thing when uh, Spider-Verse won for Best Animated Film, yeah. and uh, Lord and Miller got stage and basically talked about how important representation was, um, which is something we've talked a lot about on this podcast. And that was, that kind of, like, hit me in the, you know, right in the heart. It was, um, you know, when they get, they said they get messages from kids saying, Miles Morales looks like me, and, like, getting kids really excited that he spoke Spanish like them and Mm -hmm. you know it was weird because as they were talking um you know I thought back to seeing it with my own son who's four and white but he like this the scene where Miles Morales like jumps off the building and turns around and like you know web swings for the first time like my son was so excited and it was like such a great moment and so like like that was enough like for me and I can't imagine having it in addition to that, your son being like, "Oh, they look like me," yeah. um, it was really cool. Even
0: within the uh, the lifespan of this podcast, there was a time. I think. I think the first time we ever talked about Miles Morales on this, that was back in the the Bird Plane days. It was kind of a struggle because it's a little. Hard, it's kind of hard to explain to people how Miles Morales worked and and what the how two Spider Men could live in the same universe or. Or two separate universes, but we had to fight for it like people didn't like the idea of there being a different spider man and, and somebody who wasn't peter parker and and it was a big struggle and for that to be now not only very well received but oscar winning uh, I, I think that's just i think it's awesome but yeah. it's really,
1: really awesome, especially against like jugger i mean like it took it took down like two Pixar films this year, which like yeah. I think like the Oscars, uh, excuse me. Uh, Record Ralph is
2: not Pixar. Oh, excuse me, a <laughs> Disney,
1: a Disney animated film and a Pixar film. But like, I mean, to to that, like, still, like, to like coming off two sequels, like going up against two sequels of beloved characters, like the Oscars isn't always known for making no brainer decisions, and mm, it, I think like you know going into it i was very anxious i didn't even watch all the oscars but i tuned in um like as soon as i tuned in it was for the animated uh the animated award and i was just yeah i don't know it was just it was so cool just to see that and i even like saw the reactions of uh brian michael bendis who i have watched him for years like even on he's always been a big on tumblr you know years ago just like you, him retweeting a photo of him with a young black kid mm-hmm. uh, in a miles morales mm-hmm. suit you know and just thinking of like the widespread like even wider spread impact that this film has for people uh people of color now yeah it's just yeah it's 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 super it's super cool i think and for so many so many different reasons and yeah it was a really cool night for um it was a really a cool night for superhero movies
2: yeah, and then Green Book one But <laughs> well,
0: you know, that's a different podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll see. You win some, you lose some. <laughs> <laughs> we'll look ahead a little bit. We got our very first uh we're recording this on on Tuesday the twenty-sixth. Uh so right now all we have I think maybe the first actual Captain Marvel reviews are set to come out either when tomorrow, Wednesday or possibly Thursday. Um, but we have social media reactions. We got those this week, and and they're they're so far very strong. People people are enjoying. Have you guys looked at any of the tweets? Or are you going? Are you going social media silence on Captain Marvel for now? I looked at them like
1: right when they like when they started dropping. I looked at them the next morning, and I think the overall thought was that it was just kind. Of, it was like it was good. <laughs> it was kind of weird.
0: I kept like, hearing weird. Weird was a common <laughs> word they get, but not like in a bad way. No, no, no,
1: but like in the like strange parts of Doctor Strange or like Cosmic, like it
0: kind of leaned into that. Yeah. Some, somebody compared it to somebody said it's weird, like the scene with Ray and the caves in The Last Jedi was weird. That's what it was. Yeah, I kept yeah. seen that.
2: Which which I'm um, all in. Great.
0: On. Yeah. No no complaints on my part for sure or on or anything like that. And I and I kinda like that it's I, I think the the criticism that I don't really agree with. That I hear a lot about these Marvel movies is is that they all kind of have a sameness to them. I think I know what people mean when they say that, even if I don't really agree with the take. But I think that anytime you get a feedback like it's weird, that's that's a good thing. That means they're throwing out, they're jumping off their rhythm a little bit. They're kind of keep people on their toes. I also think two things that got a lot of praise were uh, the villain, Ben Mendelsohn's vill- character, uh, yeah. uh, Talos, I believe, the scroll. And the soundtrack, which is interesting because there was a time not that long ago when Marvel movies were criticized for bad villains and bad music. Which yeah. I think of the last like phase three, those have been the most consistently good things of these movies so far. Yeah, their, their scores have definitely, I think, like, it scores was
1: definitely hugely around. Increased. Yeah, the scores have definitely, I mean, the fact that it, you know, we just talked about it the Black Panther, uh, Oscar won. winning, yeah, score. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they definitely. I mean, I, yeah, there, there there was a video that went around, like, a 12-minute video just, like, detailing how forgettable these, like, scores were. Uh-huh. And so like, there's this <laughs> grandness around them now. They really, I feel like, going away from removing scores, like, the original soundtracks of, like, Guardians, and now it seems like they're really, like, playing with these period pieces of, like, oh, they, they get to, like, lean into our nostalgia with, like, some, you know, some, like, old you know 90s music now in this movie. So
0: yeah, to be Lots 20s. of Nirvana. I yeah. I'm getting they they've teased a lot of Nirvana and the like Bree Larson's wearing a lot of Nirvana and some of the pre- I was I was trying to guess which Nirvana song it would be. I don't think they'd go Teen Spirit or Heart Shaped Box. I thought maybe about a girl. We'll see. I'm not going to put Oh, I think though, right
2: Teen Spirit will be in it. That's too obvious you think, to not I don't be think Teen Spirit's going to be in it. I feel like that's desert, just too yeah. bottom shelf. No, it's going to be in it.
0: It's not cool. It's not cool enough,
2: but if I could place a bit on it I would. I was going to say, like, I also just saw, like, the initial reviews and then haven't dug in past that. Um, I think my favorite thing to come out of it was uh, sort of the exposure of some of the, like, aggregator articles of, you know, these early reaction pieces included some tweets by Ben Meckler uh, on <laughs> okay. Twitter. Have you seen these? No. Um, he tweeted. Oh, he's, he the guy who, tweeted, oh, he's this he got picked up like, by all these he, he different outlets. He kind
0: of, like, tries to trap people, right? And t- yeah, yeah. So he just says, Captain
2: Marvel is radical, an awesome 90s period piece, and total recalibration of the MCU as we know it. From the brief Winter Soldier cameo to the six full episodes of Friends that play consecutively through a majority of the film's <laughs> runtime, this might be my favorite MCU flick yet. And he like has like you know a whole thread of these, and these got picked up on like multiple outlets reporting on initial uh, Captain Marvel reviews, and it made me very happy.
0: He's done this a few times, right? Where he'll he'll sneak some obviously untrue thing into his social media, into his like tweet review of it, which he's not. He's not at these screeners at all, right? and then right. just sees who's not, who's being lazy and just throws yeah. it into some roundup of the best tweets from the captain. That's great. There. That's very yeah. fun. That's very, very good.
2: I mean, in a less, uh, savory part of the captain Marvel early reactions, it also got review bombed on yes. Rotten Tomatoes from user reviews, which led to Rotten Tomatoes changing their policy on this, um, which I think will be a good move, but it sucks that people feel the need to do this, um, again, after last Jedi.
0: They've done this since, like, Fury Road, I think, where people yeah. who are just mad or or maybe just enjoy being bullies go and try to, like, bring down the early score on Rotten Tomatoes by pretending they've seen it and saying they don't want to see it. And sometimes they get very dark. Like, there were threats against Brie Larson's life made in these reviews, and and I don't even know really why Rotten Tomatoes allows people who aren't critics to review a movie before it. It seems like that should have never been the case, but it's definitely yeah. not the case now. So it was one of those things where it's like, well, if you can't be responsible with your toys then we're taking them away yeah. and I could not care less. It's just so, <laughs> it's just <Yeah>. so absurd. <laughs> Whatever. So Chris and I are seeing that, we're seeing that opening night when it comes out. Yeah. And Ryan, Thursday. Ryan, you're going to be in a, you're going to be in Vietnam, right? Is that, I, am I allowed to say yeah. that on, I don't know if you're going deep. Yeah, not no, no.
2: No, I'm going to be in Vietnam doing some touring around Hanoi and Ho Chi Minh City. So I will be extremely hot. Um, There may not be a whole
0: lot of cinemas out there. I don't know if you're going to be able to. Yeah, I know.
2: Um, If I can find one, I will make it happen. But otherwise, it's going to have to wait until I get home. So um, be on the lookout for some super delayed hot takes.
0: (laughs) Chris and I will put together a little, well, we can do a little, a quick, a quick little sidekick. On the way home. On the way home. Yeah, we'll record in the car. I'll drive. You get the microphone set up. Can't be worse than what we're doing right now. <laughs> uh, the last thing I want to talk about before we get into Mr. Miracle, the rumor mill is heating up with a Batman talk. All right. We just did this. We were just talking about the new Batman, but we're talking about another new Batman now uh, because since Ben Affleck is officially out contention, Matt Reeves is looking for a Batman. There is, as of this point, no, I don't think there's even any real semi-official. We don't even know what the shortlist is. There's just these little, like kind of whispers coming out. Like maybe they're looking at this guy and they're looking at this guy. Two names that have popped up, uh, that, that seem a little more, maybe have a little more substance to them are one Rob Pattinson or Twilight, our boyfriend, Rob Pattinson coming back to be Batman. And then army hammer is apparently in the running. Uh, not apparently. I shouldn't say that. Allegedly. in the running yeah. that, that could be the case. Um, so we, it could be either of these guys. It could very well be neither of them. But based on those, of those two, you know, I'm not – Army Hammer feels like kind of an obvious choice, but not really in a bad way. It's just like, well, yeah, he could do it.
2: Oh, see, I'm, I'm all in on Pattinson. I kind of am too. Uh, of the two, I would you seen, prefer have you, Pattinson. G- have you seen Good Time?
0: I loved Good Time.
2: Yeah. Good Time is incredible. And Robert Pattinson is amazing in that movie. So if you can do that, like, (laughs) I mean, maybe without like the drugs and sort of mania. But uh, I think, you know, having, well, maybe the mania, but like having someone sort of disappear that far into themselves uh, seems extremely perfect for a Batman Bruce Wayne character.
0: It would be a very different choice. And I get that it would probably like upset a lot of people because they still associate him with Twilight. But right. Twilight was a long time ago, and he's had a very interesting career since then. He's, he's very talented. And I'm just ready for kind of a weird Batman for something. Yeah. Just throw me off my game a little bit. Give me, give me something different than the, the, the Christian Bale archetype. Uh, I would be interested. I don't know if it would be good, but I'd be very interested in seeing what Pattinson's take on Bruce Wayne would be, if that's what's happening. If it ended up being ARMY, I, I, I get why they would do it. It makes a lot of sense. Chris, what do you think? I kind of, I, I kind of want Army. You I, want Army. I
1: get that he's, I get that he might be a safer bet, but I also feel like he has the like charisma and charm just to. I, I don't even know if there's like really charisma that you associate with Batman, but I just think he has the overall presence to carry a Bruce Wayne and a Batman. I'm pretty whatever on the whole situation. Yeah, I think I'd rather just have a roadmap of like you know what they truly are going to be doing with DC's movies over the next mm-hmm. you know however many years. So yeah, yeah, it, I think either one would be a movie I would see. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's will get, get butts and teeth regardless. Right, right, right.
0: right. Yeah, yeah. I, regardless, I'm still more interested in the director. Uh, and Matt Reeves then, then I am and the actor and yeah. I got a lot of faith in Reeves and we've talked about all that before. Uh we but we will stay abreast of all Batman casting rumors that are barely even rumors. For all we know, this is just some idiot on the internet who <laughs> said these names and somebody else talked yeah. about it. Um, and hey yeah you should watch Good Time. Yeah go watch it. I'll yeah. put it on my list. We'll you, watch it after we yeah. finish. Your wife's out of town you get you got some yeah. time to yourself watch it. It's I'll do it. a great yeah. movie. Enjoy it. Um, one movie, speaking of the future of the DC Universe, this is a good transition. We've got a new Gods movie coming out that Ava DuVernay is, uh, is directing. Uh, she's also helping out the script. There was a report last week that even though we haven't really heard any forward motion on it, we haven't heard any casting news or anything, uh, it's actually going along pretty smoothly, apparently. They're just keeping it very, very under wraps in terms of uh, who they're looking at casting. New Gods, it's kind of an interesting one. And it does, that's the universe that Mr. Miracle comes from, who's the subject of this week's episode. Uh, And it's a very, it's one of those that's sort of hard to explain uh, because it is such an involved mythology that is part of the DC universe at large with Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. But it's also very much its own separate thing. Uh, it was created by when DC managed to they they stole Jack Kirby away in the late '60s, early '70s. It was it was kind of like, I don't know, what would that be like? I need a good sports analogy or something. DC taking Jack Kirby.
2: Uh, it would be like the Kansas City Chiefs taking Joe Montana yeah, from it, the San Francisco 49ers.
0: You could tell me anything, you could, you, <laughs> but I, I, would, I would believe it. But yeah, that that checks out. That seems as good as anything to me. It was a very big deal. It was very surprising. Jack Kirby was the rock star. It, it would be like if if the Beatles signed Mick Jagger to come join them. That that might help out. It was, so it was huge, and he uh, was given. He was immediately put on the Jimmy Olsen title, which wasn't exactly a, a huge deal. But, uh, but then he really wanted to create his what he considered his magnum opus that he would do all on his own. Uh, for the first time, he was free of Stan Lee. He didn't have to use Stan Lee's dialogue anymore. He could draw and write it all himself. So he created this universe called New Gods, it was very it was a very Jack Kirby type situation with two worlds one good and one bad and they were at war with each other and these were very grand very cosmic characters extremely melodramatic honestly the original series is pretty hard to follow Ryan you said you read a little bit of the original one
2: yeah I think the biggest key to it uh, both this and the and on like the original Mr. Miracle um, which I know we're going to talk about a little bit more but the key to me was seeing that at the title page of each issue of New Gods and Mr. Miracle, it said written, illustrated, and edited by Jack Kirby. <laughs> and I was like, maybe that last one should have <laughs> maybe been questioned a little bit, because uh yeah. It's like the ideas are incredible. Um the ambition I want to make that clear. Like, I've been thinking about it since I, you know, since I finished some of them is you know, just like what a world he created, but like, but getting there is uh, kind of a chore. Like all the characters speak exclusively in exclamation points, which gets very, very old.
0: Long Shakespearean, uh, sort of biblical. Uh, I guess they just go off on these long tangents that start off with sort of a plot moving device yeah. and then end up talking about like the nature of life and death and humanity and good and evil. There's no there. There's no filter.
2: The whole thing is sort of like the last season of Lost. Like that's the best way to describe it. I think
0: <laughs> that's a good that that's a good way to describe it. There was yeah there there were no notes. DC didn't give any notes on this. No. So it's we're we're, we're trashing it and we shouldn't because I, it, it's it is it's an incredible achievement and it's huge. It's probably more of a curiosity for the real diehards than uh than really essential reading. Um, but one of the characters that really that was ended up being quite successful out of the run, even if the the, the series itself wasn't really appreciated until much later after it had, it had been completed, was this character named Mister Miracle, Scott Free. He was born on the Good Planet in New Genesis, but he was traded to Apocalypse, where Darkseid, who would later become a, a major Superman villain was the ruler and, and Darkseid ended up raising Scott Free. And uh, he was raised in this pit that was, uh, that, and it was tortured throughout his entire childhood by the, the master of the pit, Granny Goodness. And it was during that time that he learned to escape. He became a, an escape artist so that when he finally did escape, uh, he became known around the world as just sort of a master at getting out of traps. And that's kind of his whole thing originally is that he's just good at getting away from stuff. Which I think worth. It's an it's definitely an interesting gimmick for a character. I feel like
1: it's definitely like that time period kind of gimmick. Yes. like it yeah. it doesn't get introduced today.
2: Yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, w- that's um, true. I will um, say I think Granny goodness is the standout. The series like Scott Free is is cool and like a good character, and I mean we'll get into that more. But um, Granny Goodness is like legitimately a terrifying character really, um, and the really way she's drawn and the way she's written like is incredible. So, yeah, I just want a little plug for Granny Goodness.
0: I think there's so many great characters, like the characters, the archetypes that he created um, from Mr- from Granny Goodness to Darkseid to Mr. Miracle to Big Barda. Uh, yeah. These are all very rich, uh, incredibly visually interesting characters and all it really took was somebody who maybe had a little more of a, a little more moderation, a little more of a filter, a little more editorial, a little more of an editor than Jack yeah. Kirby was to take these and make them something special. That is what Tom King and Mitch, I don't, know, don't even know how to pronounce his last name. Is it Gerard? Garrett.
2: It's either Gerard or Gerard. Garrett. Gerard. Garrett. We
0: should, we should know. This. We're, sorry. Yeah. We're sorry. We're sorry. We're sorry. hear this. We apologize. It's Garrett
2: Garrett. Okay. Gerard.
0: When Mitch, when Mitch Garrett and Tom King took Mr. Miracle last year and wrote a 12-part series called Mr. Miracle, which is going to be the bulk of our conversation today, but before we get into that, we want to give you a little more backstory on how Mr. Miracle works, because I think that'll be important for the conversation moving forward. So here's the script. The end of the 1960s was the best of times and the worst of times for Jack Kirby, On the one hand, he was the toast of the superhero comics industry, the X-Men, the Fantastic Four, the Hulk, and other characters he'd co-created with Stan Lee had flipped the industry upside down and were getting written up alongside the Rolling Stones and Hunter S. Thompson as emblematic of an emerging new counterculture. On the other hand, he worked long hours for little pay and never got the same credit as Stan Lee, though he felt, and many experts agree, he was at least equally, if not more, responsible for Marvel's success. So when Marvel's competition came knocking, Kirby was intrigued. DC Comics was still outselling Marvel at the time, but just barely. And while they were winning the money game, they were losing the cultural one. DC was stuffy and old-fashioned. People wore suits to work, and the content guidelines were strict. Marvel was perceived as groovier, edgier, and more in tune with the times. DC wanted what Marvel had. They wanted Jack Kirby. And as luck would have it, Kirby wanted to try something new, too. He wanted to create a comic book story that ended a true, definitive, complete work. And what's more, he had an idea about how to do it. For years, Kirby had been obsessed with the idea of futuristic societies that lived among us, their head-spinning epics taking place at a grand scale, scarcely perceived by those around them. This is what led him to create Wakanda, a society with technologies that far outpaced the world around it. It was his driving vibe with Asgard, which was even closer to the sort of stuff he wanted to create, literal gods at war. But the epic he really wanted to tell was a grand war to end all wars, with the fate of reality on the line. He wanted to tell the story in the pages of Thor, but Marvel wasn't keen on killing off one of its biggest characters. So Kirby created the Inhumans, another mysterious and powerful race that lived among us, some good and some evil. The Inhumans were a surprise hit, and Marvel didn't want them killed off either. Stan Lee was never keen on any stories that created irreversible changes. Marvel stories, Stan would always say, had to maintain what he called the illusion of change. But DC had no such rules. So they poached Kirby from the company that made him a star in a move that delivered shockwaves across the fledgling comic book world and left no few feelings hurt. It was at DC that Kirby was given the freedom to do whatever he wanted with nobody around to edit him or tell him he couldn't write a story that had a real finish. This was all the permission Kirby needed to create his new gods. And he opened the whole series with these words. And it's important to note that each sentence here, like almost all sentences in new gods, ends with an exclamation mark. Quote, "There came a time when the old gods died, the brave died with the cunning, the noble perished, loved in battle with unleashed evil. It was the last day for them. An ancient era was passing in fiery holocaust." All these words took place over titanic images of gods locked in combat at the end of a war that ruined both sides. At Marvel, Kirby had been making rock and roll, but this was heavy metal a heady brew of sci-fi fantasy, Shakespearean drama, and above all, scripture. Grant Morrison would later sum up new gods like this, quote, the Bible done Kirby's way. The premise was that two worlds were at war. New Genesis, led by the High Father, the ultimate avatar of wisdom, beauty, and virtue against the evil realm of apocalypse ruled by the authoritarian despot, Darkseid. The High Father's son, Orion, leads New Genesis to battle against Darkseid and the forces of Apocalypse, who are in search of the Anti-Life Equation, which will give Darkseid power over thought itself. The Anti-Life Equation is hidden, as it just so happens, on Earth. This was to be no less than the ultimate battle between good and evil, a raw, Jungian magnum opus that captured the full breadth and scope of its creator's imagination. The vistas crackled with cosmic scope, and Kirby's trademark physicality imbued even the simplest of scenes with tremendous weight and meaning. Every line spoken out loud reads like someone saying the last thing they'll ever say. Every panel has enough energy for a full page. Every character acted like a god of something. Some of the characters' symbolism was plain. There was the glorious Godfrey, a silver-tongued master of apocalypse's propaganda, clearly modeled after Billy Graham. Kirby was no fan of anyone he considered to be a peddler of religion for his own gain. Then there was Funky Flashman, an opportunistic shyster forever trying to cash in on the pain and misery of others who looked suspiciously like Stan Lee. And then there were the series Breakout Stars, Mr. Miracle and Big Barda. Both were raised on apocalypse in the torture pits. For the giantess, Barda, this existence honed her into a peerless warrior, for Mr. Miracle, it turns him into the universe's greatest escape artist. The two fall in love, and escape apocalypse, making their way to Earth, where they get married and become one of DC's great romantic relationships. Mark Evanier, the great comic book historian who worked with Kirby, would later confirm that Mr. Miracle and Big Barda were, like most of the characters Kirby created, modeled after real people. In this case, they were modeled after Kirby himself and his wife, Roz, who he'd married when he was 25 and remained with until his death back in 1994. The New Gods was too much for the readers of the day, sort of like the scene where Marty McFly plays Chuck Berry at the Under the Sea dance. But as a living testament to Kirby's ambition, New Gods remains a fascinating read. The characters survived Kirby's tale against his expressed wishes. They're part of the main DC universe today, interacting with Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, and all the rest. And while very few people loved the New Gods at the time of its publication, Kirby lived long enough to see a critical reappraisal. And though his story didn't end as he'd wanted, maybe that's the surest sign of his true talents. His characters are immortal. Okay, so hopefully with that foundation, the rest of our conversation will make a little more sense. If you have not read The Mr. Miracle Trade, That Tom King and Mitch Garrett put together. Then uh, there, this there was some spoilers in this conversation. Either go go pick it up and buy it and read it, and then come back and hear a conversation about it. Or else, uh, if you don't really care about spoilers, you can hear the rest of it here. So let's talk about. We all just finished this. I think we're all fresh off of uh, going plowing through the whole twelve issue run. Yeah,
1: I'm. I'm actually. I'm still pretty raw from it. Like, like you did it I today, think, right? Yeah, it, was it, like today. A, it was like a. Yeah, hey, you it's all I did, did. today. Like, yeah. Yeah. I'm still. I'm still
0: feeling it pretty bad. I don't think I've ever read a comic book quite like this. Certainly not a superhero comic quite like this. Something that's that was that was extremely poetic and extremely uh, ambiguous in a lot of its themes. But it did what what so many other comics have tried to do and have failed at which is use superheroes to talk about adult themes in a compelling way, which is something that Jack Kirby always believed the superhero genre could do. And so did Stan. So did Stan Lee. Their abilities weren't always equal to their ambitions. Uh, but this this took that idea and went about it in an extremely different way than I've ever seen another comic do. And I'm, I'm still kind of trying to wrap my mind around it because it, it was extremely profound.
2: I think the last time... I remember feeling how I felt after I like turned the last page on Mr. Miracle was, uh, when I finished Watchmen for the first time. And like, that was one of the first prestige comics that I read and just like finally sort of understanding like, Oh, like this is what comics can do. And like, I love, you know, I love all kinds of comics from like, you know, just pure fun to like the, what if stuff to, you know, deep dive into nerd canon stuff. And uh, like this kind of stuff is doing not just what comic books do, but like this kind of stuff is doing what great fiction does, which is to immerse you into lives of characters to make you think about your own life, your own relationships, your own reality, your own faith, your own perception of truth. Like, and these are all like this sounds ridiculous, but it's all there. You know, if you're not already persuaded, and like, I don't want you to spoil this for yourself. Like, if you haven't read it, go get it. Get it from your library. Um, you know, if you have one close by, like, you know, I will. If you, you know, up to like three, I will buy it for you. If you DM me on Twitter. <laughs> like, it's, um, it's that good.
1: Yeah, I, I feel like this will forever be one of those series. When I'm asked what it's about, uh, my only response is that you just have to read it. Uh, yeah, and and I think that a lot of that is due to my the experience that I even had with it, like you know, but also reading articles and threads online about how, how other people interpreted it. Uh, you know, some read it as a tragedy, some about a book overcoming mental illness, uh, some about a book, you know, choosing to be a good father and a you know a family man. You know, there are so many ways that you can look at the like thread of this the narrative through this book and how it ends and you know, you know, reread the book and like, you know, figure out how, you know, even the art that, uh, Mitch, uh, Garrett, like, you know, Garrett's like put in, you know, like that, that in it, the art in itself in this book is just something that is captivating and, yeah. you know, it really complements what Tom King was, you know, trying to do with the story. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I'm not going to buy the book for you, um, but <laughs> up, to, well, up to three, up to three. But I, like, 100%, like, you know, it's, you know, 15 you know,
0: $16 at your local comic book shop. Like, 100%, go pick it up. Yeah, yeah, support the comics like this. We don't talk about the art enough on this podcast sometimes because uh, I know we talk a lot about writers and, and artists. And this is a problem I mean, in all comic book conversations is how, despite the artist being at least 50% of any comic book story that you're reading, uh, they, they kind of get second shift. But this is one of those stories, and I would, like Ryan said, I'd put Watchmen in this category too, where you really couldn't tell this story in any other medium. It utilizes the comic book genre, just the paper, the medium, the panels, the space between the panels, the gutter, so well to tell a larger story that I don't think this could really be adapted without losing something very important about the story that's being told. And I think... At this point, we should—we've kind of hinted at this, but let's just go ahead and say we're entering into the spoiler zone. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to. So, if you don't want to, you're—you're officially out now. Because we're going to talk about some things that happened. I think that this story is—it's definitely about about God. Um, it's definitely about mental health. I think it's definitely about fatherhood, and and it's and, and a common theme in almost all of uh, King's stories. Uh, it's about love. It's about the way that we try to use romantic love to make meaning of of the world around us, and and how it succeeds or fails at that. Canonically, long before King's Run, Mister Miracle and Big Barda are sort of a they're up there with Superman and Lois Lane as a as a, a romance that just isn't going anywhere. They they're not attached to other people. And their their relationship is never in doubt in this series that there's not a lot of drama in terms of will they or won't they? Is the relationship going to last this? Which is so rare to see in this, genre, just two people who are very committed and very much love each other. But uh, it's an extremely difficult road. That hit me pretty hard. Ryan, I would imagine as a dad, there's probably parts of this that resonated pretty hard with you too.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, the the big thing that, I took away from it and the thing I keep thinking about, and I think the reason that it resonated so heavily with me is, especially like as a dad and a husband, it had so much to say about like the kind of husband and father and person that you choose to be, um, despite everything happening around you. Cause that was the thing that I thought was so incredible. Um, first, I think in his relationship with the big barta, and then later once uh, once his son is born, you, you know, because you're right, there is never a hint that, you know, these two characters are going to split, um, meaning Mr. Miracle and Big, and Big Barda. But you had all these moments where they'd reach these crossroads. And I think anyone uh, and I hope I'm not speaking to like flippantly, but like I think anyone in a in a marriage that really strives to make itself work kind of can see this where, you know, you can be on the same page and going forward But like that, there are all these little moments where you are given a choice and you can make a choice to walk towards your spouse um, or you can make a choice to walk away. And the thing that keeps, uh, at least in, in my life, like the thing that's, you know, helped my marriage function, and I'm sorry for being personal, but this is like a super personal book. You know, we both strive really hard to make the choice to walk toward the other And it like, that was the thing that really hit home so hard for me because you had him first making that choice for his wife and then eventually making that choice for his son, where mental illness is something I've struggled with in my life. And, you know, when you love someone, it's not necessarily about like that, you know, the romantic side of that. It's sometimes as simple as ignoring like the black boxes of the nine page or of the nine panel page. And choosing to make the choice to walk closer to the person that you've said you will walk with. Um, and I feel like I've never seen that in a comic. Or, and, like, frankly, like, most fiction um, is too afraid to touch that. Because it's a really hard concept to communicate. So this idea that, like, you... Like, this idea that Scott Free is making these choices to, you know, choose and fight for his um, his family, I think is a really powerful one. And not like an easy one to tell
0: telling profound story or, or trying to communicate something that 's that's new and interesting about uh, a committed relationship um, about, about a marriage in this case, about having a family in this case it 's extremely difficult to do because there's just no more time worn concept in in fiction than the idea of the idea of love and it can be so hard to say something that feels actually sort of new and interesting about it. I think because some of the most important things that there are to be said to sort of defy creative interpretation in a lot of ways, they're, yeah. they're very hard to communicate yeah. without coming across as very, very pedantic or, or or else very cheesy. And, and Mr. Miracle never felt that way at all to me. I think there's even some question of whether or not what we're seeing is real sometimes uh, when they're fighting through apocalypse, say, together while they're discussing how to rearrange their house, like redecorating, redoing the house a little bit. And I couldn't tell, and I don't know if you guys caught this, if it was, if that was really happening or if that was just a metaphor for two people working together to fight through something that is very, very mundane and feels very boring. But as I think everybody who's ever been in a relationship knows – can be a very stressful and sometimes extremely destructive conversation, <laughs> and uh, and the way that that it was illustrated in this case with fighting aliens and and swords and sometimes pretty violently was um, just refreshing and inspiring and and uh, and moving. It, it, it really moved me. It's also very interesting to see, and this is this is talked about quite a bit in the story. But it's I don't I can't think of any other couple in any. Uh, in any genre, any medium, in which he is he is dwarfed by her, yeah, which is a really interesting. They use that really well throughout this throughout the story. She's uh, she's a warrior. She's probably got a good what foot and a half on him.
2: Yeah, I think so.
0: His smallness, just in terms of his stature, his size, how how sort of uh, um, compact he is, and, and her like being a very large, very physical, very, very powerful looking person. They, they never call it out. They never directly address it, but it is nevertheless, obviously a running theme is that she's the one who, who sort of is holding things together when he can't or won't in some cases. One of my favorite going back to like,
1: The greatness that is granny goodness one of my favorite moments in this uh was when big barda says she she says to granny goodness i'm too tall and granny goodness responds everyone's too something and i just sat with that just because i think of like all the insecurities that i you know i can deal with in my with myself or you know physical appearance you know what have you like i i think it's just like Yeah, like we all have our, like everybody has their shit and like Mm -hmm. we just kind of have to, Mm -hmm. you know, move forward. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we make the decision to move forward with it. You know, it's something so small and so like you could just like brush right past Mm -hmm. it. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I I just sat with that for a little bit uh, before moving on. Mm -hmm. I I just, I thought it was really great. And I mean, like we I don't think we've like really like Mm -hmm. been specific about like how this book even opens up, which is Mm -hmm. Scott Free. You find him like he's on the bathroom floor, and he had just um, he had just slid his wrist, and he just attempted suicide. And uh, I think that the art, like the art, is so complex and unique and amazing that I didn't really even register to me until you know the following pages where you see Big Barda in the hospital and dealing with the fallout of that, and watching how they don't really address it much like directly until like you get probably into issue eight or nine when um, they're on the playground uh, with their son. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Big Barda finally says, Hey, like I've like, I'm the one that's been trying to hold this together. Like we see multiple times where she truly is the rock of their relationship. And you see this, like this man, this God who is just, constantly you know like crumbling you know falling you know crying in the shower balling up you know having to face his day-to-day life of you know like if you want to apply it to our own situations like the work that we just have to do to survive and like make a living and provide support you know like i i don't know i just the way that you can draw the parallels of these gods to our like day to day mundane lives and us just trying to move forward, yeah. He, 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 it's really, it's really just an amazing feat of writing in twelve issues. Like I think that that's what makes his story so great is that it's contained in these twelve issues. Again, like it kind of goes back to what I said. Like this just forever is going to be a book that I'm just like you have, you just have to read this and like you take what take what you want from it. You know, like did. Like, are we looking at a guy who truly did choose? To, like, did he really escape? Escape death? Uh-huh.
0: Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. Like, or...
1: I think
2: I think it's interesting because um, something I've been thinking a lot about is that, um, and obviously there are different interpretations about the ends depending on what you sort of read into it. I think, it, like, the idea that, and this is what I take from it. So I guess you know, cards on the table. Like, at the end, it's, you know, it's suggested sort of all these alternative interpretations of Scott's life are suggested by the various characters he sees. A couple of people suggest he's dead. One person says he's in heaven, one person in hell. One of the characters says that it doesn't really matter anyway. And, oh, yeah, and then another character sort of implies that he's part of this, like, alternate universe that's not, like, the real universe, um, which is, like, the DC Rebirth universe. And I felt like what... And like. I felt like where King and Jared or Gerard, uh landed was the message that like, it might just like not matter because what Scott free has chosen throughout this book. And uh, you know, it seems like what they're, they might be saying is that the things he's choosing are like the people he loves. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is just like such a profound thing. A to say in a comic book, which like is always trying to say, like, oh, but there's like another universe. It's like the true universe. I think it's it's even a bold thing to say sort of culturally, because like, you know, we're still I think all three of us like probably grew up sort of in the matrix generation where it's like, you know, you take you know you always want to take the red pill because it's like the and you know this uh, aside from all the like men's rights nonsense um but it's like you know that thing of like you know we we never want to be we never want to be deceived or like living in non-reality because like real reality is like where it's all at and I it's like it feels like the question they're asking is just like yeah but like what if it's not like what if the real thing is like whatever you choose to like pursue um and that's the biggest thing and to me like that's like a really profound statement that's not a common thing to read in like popular culture.
0: And I think I think that's part of what the theme of of Mr. Miracle, the man who can escape anything, who can break out of any trap, right? Who can there's you can't you can't hold him, you you can't there, there's no way you can he can get out of anything. But what becomes clear in this book is that He can't get away from just the reality of the circumstances, that there's no escaping from the fact that he's, that he is who he is and the people around him are who they are. And you're right. I hadn't thought about it in connection with the, the sort of like red pill, blue pill situation. But, uh, but there seems to be some level of King saying here, well, what if you, uh, what if you don't have the ability to like escape? What if that's just not possible? Can you still choose to, to love the people around you to accept yourself, accept who you are, and just to do the, to, to wake up every day and do the boring stuff, like the, the going to work and brushing your teeth and washing your face at night before you go to bed, the stuff that's just, can be so boring, but that makes up the bulk of your entire life. That's, that's what life ends up being. And Mr. Miracle can't get out of that, and, and neither can we. And, uh, and and so it's what you choose to do with the fact that you are, that's just, that that's your reality now. <laughs> And I feel like it's such,
2: a, it's such an important, and, you know, full cards on the table, like, it's such an important antidote to, like, the Elon Musk ideas of, like, oh, maybe we're living in an alien simulation. <laughs> like, yeah, maybe we are, but, like, who cares? Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, you know, none of that matters, because, like, what matters is what we do with the time we've been given and, like, how we treat the people that we've been, that have been put in our path. And, like, it feels like that's at the core of Mr. Miracle.
1: And we get told that from a cashier <laughs> at the supermarket when he's buying diapers. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, it's it's really yeah, it's wonderful. And we've really
0: only scraped the surface of this book. Like we could probably we we could talk about it for a lot because there is a lot there to to dissect. And there's a lot of things that like kind of like you said, where I think a lot of what you take out of this book is going to depend on what you take into it because a lot of it is very ambiguous. There's a lot of things that aren't really clear at the end of it. One thing I was wondering, and this is this has less to do with it with it thematically, how how would you guys feel about giving this book to somebody who maybe wasn't super familiar with with DC or, or New Gods lore, or or even just maybe the because it is one of the best comic books I think I've ever read, superhero comics I've ever read, but I could see just the weight of all the different characters being a little bit daunting. I mean, I truly am someone who was very unfamiliar with
1: the lore of New Gods. Uh, Going in, even coming out, like I'm still, you know, I had to look at, you know, Wikipedia just to kind of like get a better understanding of the new gods and like placing some of the characters that I just read about in the overall like idea of who they are. Orion and Highfather and Vetron and yeah. yeah, you get I mean, they they explain you're told what you need to know for this story in this book i I feel like it's contained enough that you don't need to know a ton like it truly is something that you can go into pretty blind and uh and be okay with like you can remove all of the dc universe like all the superheroes that we're familiar with like you don't have to know a single thing about any of them Mm -hmm. besides or you know the idea that Batman exists and there's a small <laughs> reference to him, you know, like
0: um very small. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it,
1: it, which is like, and it's really cute and you know, it's, it's really great, but yeah, a hundred percent. Like if you're not familiar with, well, I hope if you've listened to this so far, you write, you actually read the book um, and not spoil it. Like let us spoil we it. We haven't spoiled it. too much. I yeah, think we've done,
0: yeah. we've done all right. We've done all right.
1: But I I would say like if you if you've like listened to us talk and you haven't you're not familiar with it, you know a ton of this I think you're still good to just like jump right in um, mm-hmm. because I I truly didn't know much
0: I, there are little I, things I also, that would probably help uh, things like uh the glorious Godfrey who makes a very brief a few brief appearances was sort of based off of a Billy Graham. like Jack Kirby was not a big fan of Billy Graham and uh, and so he used glorious Godfrey as this like sideshow. Huckster who was trying to dupe the masses with his uh like nighttime talk show, or, or funky Flashman, who is kind of seen as a, a a loving but a little bit ridiculous character was a character from the original New Gods who Jack Kirby drew as a satire, a pretty sharp satire of Stan Lee. In this book is made very apparent that he's a Stan Lee character. Wow. <laughs> in a, in a in a loving uh so so poking fun but in a loving way uh parody of him those are little things you don't need to know but it obviously sort of adds to the overall richness of the experience if you if you do
2: i also think like you know we've sort of hinted at it but i also think it's important to note that this also succeeds as like a really good superhero story um like it's not just you know it's not just about like these kind of heady topics because i think like you know you can go on reddit as much as the rest next person um but like like it also succeeds on its own as a superhero comic like very well um it's not just using these things as props to tell a you know story that it thinks is deep it's telling a really good comic story and it's also like super funny um like i laughed out loud numerous times it also has as tyler mentioned like all these in jokes like some of the captions, which I didn't realize until I'd gone back to read, but like some of the captions that begin and end each issue, uh, were the same ones that Jack Kirby used, and like given a new context, are like like usually like deeply disturbing, um, but like uh, really sort stand of a out because quality
0: if, to some of the overblown caption asides yeah. in this context that are that that are funny in sort of a dark way, kind of a gallows humor way.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, just that, you know, you'll, you'll be able to identify them because they all have, like, three exclamation points after every line. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it just... I think it's, like, it's very funny and moves well. The action's really good. The, uh, the illustration really carries the action, clearly. It's very violent, so by... Uh, my son tried to take it, and I—he uh, yeah. looked through before I had, and I hope he didn't see anything weird. Um,
0: <laughs> it's violent. There's a little bit of yeah. sex in there. It's—it's it's not for the. I wouldn't say you know, don't don't hand it to your to your son at least, Ryan. Yeah, not to a four year old, twelve yeah. year old. But but uh but so it's yeah it's a it's definitely a grown up. Color. I wouldn't say it was a titillating or explicit no, or anything no. like that. Well,
2: that's what I was gonna. I was also gonna say uh, tip of the cap to King and Gerard for writing sex well. It's like
0: god, can you imagine?
2: Yeah, like A that's super hard. And people in fiction usually suck at it. And B like comics is known for like terrible, terrible sex scenes. So to see those treated so well and like actually lend some eroticism and intimacy to a comic book was really refreshing to see. Um and they to you know, they like, the the added
0: to the story. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They they knocked it out of the park. I wanted to to close uh, talking a little bit more about Tom King. He's he's very quickly become the, the the toast of the of the comic book world as as a writer. He interned at Marvel for uh, a few years, uh, I, I think unpaid. And then he left. He actually joined the CIA for a while. He worked in counterintelligence. And then when he was done with that, wrote a few sci fi books. I don't think they did anything, but one of them caught Marvel's attention and then he ended up writing Vision which was his first real big uh comic book splash in the that wasn't an indie situation uh after after Omega Men which was his own thing Vision really put him on the map and then DC poached him away from Marvel which is where he he got Batman which he's which he's still writing and uh did this Mr. Miracle story and he's currently writing a an event series called Heroes in Crisis Everything he's done has been pretty acclaimed so far. And even when it doesn't quite work, and I'm not sure Heroes in Crisis quite works, but I I admire the ambition behind it, Uh, what he's trying to do, the stories he's trying to tell, I think are really amazing. Vision remains one of my favorite stories that I've read in the past five years in any medium, in any genre. And and, now Mr. Miracle is in there too. And I like what he's done with Batman a lot. And I think what he does really well, which which I've already alluded to, is finding ways to make these adult themes part of the superhero genre without feeling very, uh without feeling ridiculous, without feeling like he's trying to convince a lot of these stories. When they try to do adult themes, it feels like, and then just trying to justify their love of the genre, like they don't want to be made fun of anymore. They're trying to prove something to the world. They're trying to give themselves an excuse to keep liking to to enjoying the reads they had when they were little kids. With Tom King, it feels very natural. It feels like he's really found avenues for these characters to explore major themes and and things that he's interested in. Does that make sense? What I'm
1: saying, like, oh no, totally. I'm struggling. I, no, no, no. I, I, no. I think that that's it. Because like the vision was also i i mean we could talk about that you know that's another one yeah. that we could just talk about forever you know he he does a really great job of showing heroes like you know these beings with abilities and powers that we like could daydream about possessing going through some of the like our most human experiences that we deal with you know we've talked about this so much even on this podcast and um yeah, so I, you know, like even for the for Vision, he wanted to live this Rockwellian life, you know. For Scott, for you, battling mental health, and you know, just you know, going through like the like you know the mundane of like work mm-hmm. and providing for a family. You know, I think what he's done so well, and like what he's really acclaimed for, are these contained stories, like with Mister Miracle and the Vision, um, and I think you know these are both Eisner award winning you know, series. And I think that's just like what he's done. That's how he's made a name for himself. He's just like really been able to write really humorous, like ways of like us relating to like this crap that we just kind of have to deal with sometimes Mm -hmm. that we Mm -hmm. just have to go with and like, just helps like, kind of like make it a little bit easier to process sometimes. And like, Mm -hmm. and I think that that's just something that so many people can connect with whether or not they are like, Immersed in comic books like, you know, us three or, you know, somebody who's just like picking up random things here and there. He just finds a way to connect with people um, and like showcase these other things that we have to deal with. And I think that's what people latch on to. So, yeah, like that's that's been my big take on Tom King and what I've appreciated so much about the work that he's done so far. Um, Is at least the stuff that I've the stuff that I've read. So, yeah, I don't know. I think that's kind of why he has resonated with so many people and gained the exposure that he's had
2: i actually think it's extremely unfair uh that he's this talented uh because like he writes these like amazing you know like these amazing pieces like that are these limited you know pieces of incredible fiction and then he also like he writes batman and that's really good and he writes nightwing and that, or excuse me grayson and that's really good like omega-man is really good it's like all these, uh, like he's really good at a lot of stuff. So I'm glad DC is trusting him with this stuff, and I hope they continue to do so. I like it is very exciting that they seem to be teasing a new collaboration that's going to be another mini series, which again is a callback to the uh, Jack Kirby uh, Mister Miracles uh, series. But I will be curious to find out what they do next.
0: Yeah. Yeah, but, I haven't heard any I haven't heard rumors of a new collaboration.
2: Well they they have teased it on Twitter and then if you notice like the last panel of the last page says Mr. like this is the last issue of Miracle Mr. Miracle but Tom King and Mr. uh Gerard would be back with a new series uh, soon. Yeah, yeah.
0: I I was going to ask uh what uh if anything uh do you have do you have any like dream gigs for for King and Gerard after this? Anything you'd really any characters or groups you'd to see them tackle next?
1: I was trying to think about this, uh, because like there there are writers who I mean Spider Man's kinda like my always my go to. Like somebody I would always want to see on Spider Man would be Jonathan Hickman. Sure. I don't know if I would want that with Tom King. Like when I see like the work that you know when I see I'm work, not
0: sure the sensibilities really lend him them themselves to a Spider Man story. Yeah,
1: he does really well with these like more I mean Peter Parker is kind of a "what you see is what you get" kind of uh-huh. like character, and I think so much has been done with him. And he takes he, Tom King has been able to do. Yeah, you know, I think his Batman run has been up and down. Like I know he's had a lot of highs, and then I think like he's had some critics, you know, say he's had some really low lows. Like, um, yeah, like with, I think these characters that haven't been explored as much are like where he shines. Uh, but I just don't know, like, I can't figure out, like, where I would want him next.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously he's with DC, so, uh, like, I have a harder time thinking of a DC character that he could write, and mostly just because I don't know their bench as well. I think, like, on the Marvel side, it'd be cool to see him tackle, like, Moon Knight or, like, Sentry, I think, could both be it's really interesting. A lot of
0: trauma, a lot of uh, yeah. revenue um, on the surface. Yeah, which I guess like you know
2: have, has already been explored in some other some other people. Um, I don't know. I kind of just want him to like. I feel like he latches onto these characters that are sort of weird and unaffiliated with like kind of the main the mainstream uh, canon, whatever is happening there. So I'm sure he probably like they probably already have an idea of what they want to do. You know that is not going to be guessed by me. So.
0: It seems like DC is trying to push Booster Gold as a as a character that we should pay attention sure. to, we should like more than we do. I don't really care for Booster right now. But uh but if Tom King was going to take a Booster Gold series, which I could see happening because he's sort of a character who never quite got his shot. He's a character from the future who is sort of a celebrity in his own time and when he comes to to our current time, he is not necessarily considered a uh he he's, he doesn't have that same level of. of so he's confused for Green Lantern all the time. Pretty funny, and Tom King has been using him quite a bit in Heroes in Crisis. So I can see that happening. I would definitely. Uh, I, I'll read anything that that King does from here on out. Yeah. And, uh, we'll try to keep you guys up to date here. We've gone pretty long with this one. We should probably wrap up. My goodness! If anyone's it's still good, listening after all that, <laughs>
2: it's a good series. It's a great yeah, series, please, and we
0: yeah, and. Read it. And Ryan, you mentioned this, but it is the, it's, it's very plot heavy. I really do love the, the story of Mr. Miracle. I know we talked about a lot of the philosophical things, like a bunch of dorm room, like college bros just getting stoned and laying <laughs> to what all needs. But, but that's just the, the story invites that, but it is not reliant on it. It is, it is just a, a, a cracking good story on its own. So, thanks for listening, everybody. We really do really appreciate it. We hope that if you like what you're hearing, that you're going to the to the Apple Pit. We got a bunch of new reviews, a bunch of good reviews from y'all. We appreciate thanks, that. Thank you for going to and, and giving us, uh, giving those solid reviews to us. Um, keep them coming. We'll, we'll take them. Uh, we, of course, pre- as always, we appreciate Chad Snavely, CM Studios. Uh, they're sounding good. And if you're looking at, thinking about starting your own podcast, uh, I, I couldn't recommend anybody else to you. you know, look them up. <laughs> And uh, I think with that we will wrap it up. I'm Tyler Huckabee. I'm Christian Blood. And, and I'm Ryan Hamm. Hamm. And Hannah Mazzel will be back soon. She is she's gone for now, but she's she'll be back uh, shortly hereafter. And uh, we'll see you all next time. Thanks everybody.